Well, it's so amazing to see you all here. We had such a great time up there that week. It's great to see some of your faces from up at camp. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, I had the privilege of being able to speak up at uh, camp uh, that week. I think that was like the funnest week of my life, just being able to unpack the Bible. We did an ambitious thing that week, and we tried to explain the purpose of the whole Bible. It was a small task. We tried to go, okay, here's what the Bible is all about, like the whole thing. And it was, it was an ambitious task. And today, we, we kind of get to put the little cherry on top of the whole thing. But in order to do that, I have to figure out how to give everybody here a recap of the whole Bible, not a week, but in like five minutes, so I can actually put the cherry on top. So it's going to be a bit of a project, but uh, I think that it's going to be helpful. Um, we're actually going to be doing uh, a, a version of the series that we did up at camp here at Every Nation, starting later in the fall, most likely. And so that'll be fun. We get to work through it. So if you feel a little bit left out, we're going to be going through it uh, in a few months' time. But I... I'm really excited about what we get to talk about today because we get to talk about what the point of the church is. And we, we did this whole arc through all of Scripture, looking at all these different things. And there was one thing that we just didn't really have a chance to talk about. And it's the point of community once we all get back here. And so I thought, oh, that kind of makes sense to do it at a reunion. So we'll talk about that now. And I think it will apply to every single one of us as we unpack what the point of the church is. But let me just pray, because I think this is really, really important. So Lord, um, we thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for your word, uh, for all the things that you taught us at camp and here at Every Nation. And I just pray that uh, you, your truth, would just cut through uh, any fog in this place. Uh, thank you for the way that you do that so faithfully. Your word is so powerful. And we ask that it would be sharp today and that you would do something because you do reign above it all. You're in charge right now. And we ask you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, ready to hear about what the whole Bible's about in five minutes? <laughs> okay, here's what happened. Is humanity... And heaven and earth, there was a point when they were perfectly one. And we call that place Eden. It's where God dwelt with man, and it's the dream. And it's something that I think we'd all long for. But something called sin entered the world, and what it effectively did was make two places. It made heaven and earth, and they're now separate. And so we have this really interesting problem where we have unleashed hell inside the world, and God has this little predicament on his hands going, how am I going to bring heaven and earth back together, getting rid of all the hell that we've all unleashed on this place without getting rid of us? It's a very interesting issue that he's trying to figure out how to do. And so the story of the Bible is the story of heaven and earth reuniting and somehow not having all the evil, not having us be thrown out with it. Because God has, has to actually be just, but we all want him to be merciful on us, but we also want him to be just for all the things that all the bad people have done. And then we go, uh-oh, I'm one of the bad people, and realize that we would have to get thrown out if we wanted heaven and earth to actually be reunited. So that's the tension in the drama of the story, and we talked about it up at Camp 8. And how we did that is we looked at this idea that we now need a new, what's called a priest, we need a new royal priest to actually make a way for us to enter back in 
to this Eden space. We need a new royal priest. We used to be the royal priests, you know, when, when, when heaven and earth were overlapped, we were all royal priests. We, we, we let go of that identity by not uh, trusting God. And instead, now we need a new royal priest to usher us back into the kingdom of heaven. And we also need this thing called a sacrifice so that there's actually justice paid so that those two things can be reunited again. So the story of the Bible, as we're flipping through it, is going, when is this new royal priest going to show up? And that's the tension that's alive as we start from the beginning and read all the way through the New Testament, all the way until the New Testament is going, when is this new royal priest going to show up? When are the sacrifices going to be ultimate and enough? And that's the tension as we flip through the whole thing. It's quite dramatic. So the whole Bible is this promise for the Savior that's one day coming. And of course, Jesus arrives on the scene. And what's really neat is as you go through the whole Old Testament, there be, there's these characters that start to show up and you kind of go, oh, is this the guy? Oh, is this the guy? Is he, gonna, is he the royal priest? Is he the... Is this guy going to be the one that sets us free? Is this guy going to be the... And we get all these tastes of different people that are kind of shades of who Jesus eventually is. We get, there's some, but like David comes real close. Moses, pretty solid second place. Like there's some pretty great characters, but they all fall so short of Jesus. And what we did at camp, and I'll take, I'll do it, take you 30 seconds and do it. What we did is, uh, this is fun diagram. If you were at camp, you're super nauseated by this because we looked at it every single day. But you've got earth, and you've got heaven. And throughout all of the Old Testament, there's all of these different stories that seem to take place on mountaintops. It's a fun thing. You can comb through your Old Testament and look for mountaintops. And there's usually going to be some similarities between those things. And it's symbolic of where heaven meets earth. And you can pick these different stories and go, you've got a character that's making a way for people to have some semblance of heaven meeting earth. So you've got Adam, who starts out as a royal priest. He trusts God. He starts fulfilling his call as a royal priest. He starts naming animals. He's got a job. Super great. Then him and Eve mistrust God, and they're exiled in the garden. Oh, wasn't Adam. Then you come along and get this guy named Abraham. He trusts God. He trusts God's covenant that he's going to have a rescue plan that comes through his line. That's super cool. Uh, but he mistrusts him, and he got this whole Ishmael thing, and that kind of doesn't go so well. And you're like, oh, looks like it wasn't Abraham. Okay, who's next? Moses. Oh, we got Moses up here. He trusts God. He ushers the whole people. He ushers them out of slavery. He ushers them into a, a covenant with God. You got the Ten Commandments. Wow, really cool. We're up on top of Mount Sinai here. You got Moses standing here. You got burning bushes. You've got fire and God's presence. And wow, super cool. Heaven on earth. Oh, he mistrusts God. And uh, he doesn't believe that he's going to be enough of a royal priest. And you got this guy Aaron that has to show up. And Aaron makes a fool of himself. And it's all, you got golden calves. It's terrible. Ah, wasn't Moses. Then we got David. David trusts God. You got the Goliath thing. That went super well. He's bringing the, uh, he's bringing the, tabern uh, the Ark of the Covenant back up into Jerusalem, which is a mountaintop, by the way. Super cool. Um, and uh, you've got sacrifices being made for like the people of God to now be at the temple. Amazing. Ah, David starts mistrusting God, counting his soldiers, building his own kingdom. It's not David. And so at the end of the Old Testament, you've got... You've got these stories and these pictures and these windows into what we really need a royal priest to be like. And they have their good moments, but they also mostly have their bad moments, and they fall short of who we really need. But they do give us this really cool picture into like, oh, one day we're going to need a guy that does this, 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 and not this and this and this. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he trusts God fully. He trusts God fully. 
And there actually is no lime green arrow in Jesus's life. And he trusts God to the point of obedience. He becomes the royal priest we all need. He trusts God even to the point of becoming the sacrifice himself. And he makes a way for heaven and earth to be reunited. And then we talked about how that making a way for us means that we actually get to be here now and we're temples of the Holy Spirit because Jesus made a way for that. And so we've got at the end, you know, you had Adam and then David and Moses and all these people. At the end, we wrote, you, you're up here. You get to be filled with God's presence. Super fun. There's one thing that we haven't talked about yet. And this is what we're going to talk about today. It still falls short if it just ends with you. Because you've got this idea of you and your Bible and your favorite podcast and nice coffee and it's not quite fully there. Anybody know what's coming next? We got to talk about this. We got to talk, I don't know, how many, how many stick people do you want? Many. This is us. I actually did it pretty fast. Thank you. Thank you. See, the trick is you draw the heads and then, you know, you do like this even? Yeah, it was very systematic the way I did that. I didn't practice. <clears throat> So, as much as we're all temples, there's this idea that we are temples. And I'm trying to breeze through this. Okay, so we're temples. You can put up the 1 Corinthians verse up for me there. Um, it, it, it's, it's quite obvious. Like, we're, we're temples. It's, it's true. Uh, Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, who you received from God? You're not your own. But the New Testament talks more about how we are a temple somehow. Put up the Ephesians verse. Ephesians 2 says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So what role in your life does being fitted together with all the other people play? What role in your faith as you walk it out, what does it have to do with being fitted together into this thing that's called a house for the Lord with all the other saints and people and, you know, like a puzzle. How close, how interconnected do you feel? This is, this is Paul saying there's something about, there's an us going on here. One more I'll read just to prove my point. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all, in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew, Gentile, slave, or free, and we're all given the same Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. So the Spirit... Remember how we, we talked about this? I, sh I should, what we had is we had this purple dotted line moving further and further out. And, and, the, and the story is like heaven taking over earth through the church and through the people of God. And the purple line is going further and further and further. Super neat. And there's this idea here that Paul's talking about going, you guys are all vessels of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's all inside of us. We all have this part to play. And we're all part of the same body, and we don't do that on our own. We do it in this kind of unified way, which is really, really important. So uh, it's a nice idea to think that we can all move in this perfect, synchronous way together. 
you know? Hey, we're all just going to link hands, and it's going to be this beautiful circle of this purple line, and we're all going to walk forward together advancing God's kingdom. And it's just going to be so smooth and easy to all walk forward arm in arm, fully together, fully connected, manifesting the fullness of who God is by his spirit through a diverse group of people. And you start to say it like that, and you're like, oh, that's not easy. Oh, that's, oh, uh, have I ever seen that happen? <laughs> like, this is the things I start to think about. That's a complicated thing. I like the whole, you know, if you were at camp, the, when, it was, when it said you up here, you know, there was just one of you, and there's a little flame on your head, you know, Pentecost, and it's you and the Holy Spirit going and storming the world. And that's simpler, right? That's a simpler idea. And the Apostle Paul seems to be very convinced that there's something about us that actually has this happen. So, uh, have you noticed that there's some disunity in the body of Christ? Yeah, there's some disunity. Be a bit of an understatement. And God seems really committed to this idea that in order to advance his kingdom, we have to do it in a unified way. I find that frustrating sometimes. I'd like to just storm the castle myself. I feel like I'm pretty great sometimes. And uh, I'll just do it it myself. And he's like, no, we're going to do this together. And so what I want to do today is I want to connect for us the idea that being part of God's unified family takes a lot of trust. Takes a lot of trust. That's what we're going to talk about as quick as I can. What I want to do is I want to read a verse a little bit slowly. It's in 1 Peter. It's probably one of the best little chunks of scripture that tries desperately to explain what the point of the church is. Why it's not just a thing that you have to attend He's trying to communicate, the the Apostle Peter is trying to communicate the essential nature of an us as the kingdom is advanced. And so we're going to read through it slowly, and we're going to read through it, and then I'm going to try to make sure we understand it, and then I want to draw draw two observations from it, okay? So 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4. You can put it up there. I'm going to go through it slow. As you come to him, talking to Christians, okay? As you come to him, the living stone, what does that mean? Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Okay, so the metaphor being used here is Jesus is the living stone. Okay, little context, got to go to Israel. You know, I got to go to Israel when I was 17, and uh, I'm sure we learned lots, but there's like three things that I remember that just keep mattering, and one of them is the difference between a living stone and a dead stone. I read through this and I go, living stone, ah, that's poetic. What a nice image of like, I picture like a stone with a smiley face on it. Like what's a, what's a living stone? It's actually way more profound than that. A de- if you've been around every nation for a while, you've heard us say this, but a dead stone is one that's in a field. That's what they call dead stones. And they get in the way of the, you know, they didn't have tractors, the ox. I, they get in the way. You don't want dead stones in your field. A living stone is one that's in a building or in a wall or serving a purpose. It's, connect, it's, it's part of a thing, okay? So we have to know that when we read this. Uh, the early Jewish audience reading this is going, oh, living stones, gotcha, fully tracking, right? So you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a, you guessed it, holy priesthood, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wow, that's like so dense. But we're given an image of being integral to the construction of God's dwelling place. 
We're given an image of going, you're super important in the construction of a very seemingly large, vast, incredibly powerful thing called God's house. And you get to be a spiritual sacrifice in that place that's pleasing to God. Not only, we talked about this, but you know, you, you have this idea of like, ah, oh, do I have to be a sacrifice? Well, <laughs> post-Jesus, our sacrifice isn't of one of death. Our sacrifice is one of willing surrender to the God who gave us it all. We have nothing left to pay for. It's not a sacrifice of death to atone for our sins. That's done. It's a spiritual sacrifice going, I'm gonna lay my life down on this altar as, a, as an acceptable form of worship to you. Like have my whole heart and life because it's all done. That's what we get to, this is the temple we're building is we're all essential in its construction and we're all the sacrifices in it that don't have to die. <laughs> They just get to be free and willing. It's beautiful. And he's like, this is the worship that's acceptable to me. Not one that costs you your actual physical life. I want to be with you forever, but I do want your whole heart and all of your trust. Okay. Then Peter starts quoting Old Testament prophets. He's getting preachy here. He starts bringing in the Old Testament. He says, for in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, which is the mountaintop where David and Jerusalem is. See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Jesus is called the cornerstone. Little context, what is that? A cornerstone is the most important stone in the building in that day. A cornerstone is the one on the corner. <laughs> and it, it, uh, it's, it's very important because it orients the two directions. And if the cornerstone isn't perfect, everything else is askew. So it's the most important stone. So when you're reading this, and you're, you know, in ancient architecture, you're like, cornerstone, gotcha, the most important one. The one that every other stone is modeled after. The one that every, every other stone goes, and just like, am I? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> right? Are we? Yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's, that's us. You're like, oh, just making sure we're, yeah, that's a, that's the image we're getting. So, trusting in this cornerstone, does it say that? Yeah, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Uh, we're modeling our life after the pattern that he's set. Little gulp, little gulp moment, right? Oh, that pattern? And it's saying that modeling our life after that pattern will never be put to shame because this thing's gonna last forever. Okay, super cool, super cool. He keeps going, more Old Testament preaching. Now to you who believe, and then Peter starts talking to us as the Christians. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. This stone is everything. But to those who do not believe, and he quotes a verse, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Okay, so in Israel, the people who were supposed to be building God's kingdom, the people who are up here building temples, you know, in all the Old Testament, they were trying to build a place for heaven and earth to meet. They were God's chosen people. The people who were supposed to build, the, the builders, that's who were the Israelites being referred to as the builders, rejected, they rejected the actual cornerstone. Whoops, whoops. So Israel, supposed to be builders of God's kingdom, rejected the actual cornerstone. Let's keep going. And... A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for. 
man, people who don't believe the message of Christ like stumble over it. When I'm mistrusting God, the gospel turns into like not neutral news, it turns into bad news. Like when I'm mistrusting God and I don't wanna build his kingdom and I wanna build my own, the, the announcement of the kingdom is not neutral news, it's bad news. It's like, and we stumble over it. I mean, like, that guy was the cornerstone? That's the one I'm modeling my life after? He's the king? He, that guy is the guy that the eternity is being built on? The eternal kingdom of God that's gonna last forever, the purple thing? Oh, no. No, I'm stumbling over that because I'm not building that kingdom. See, Paul, Peter here is really preaching, but he says, but, don't be like that, but, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. He's quoting straight Moses from like Exodus 19. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So you're the people of God. And I think that there's just this inherent tension for us between the individual and the collective. Don't you guys think that? Like we have this inherent tension between like, oh, the people of God, that's nice. Then you get around them and I'm like, oh, oh, there's a lot of people and I don't agree with all of them all the time. And uh, this is getting a little confrontative. Um, and I think this is where our culture goes, ah, never mind. Because I think our culture is obsessed with individualism. I just think it makes sense to me. I like to build my own kingdom. I like to do my own thing. It makes sense, even in my spirituality, me and Jesus till the end. And so here, I just want to make two observations, and then we'll be done from all this. And I think they're really, really good news. <laughs> so after I read this second Peter, this first Peter verse, chapter two, there's two things that stand out to me. One is that being part of a people is an extremely humbling thing to go and do. If you're going to be part of something bigger than you, not just bigger than you in like a purpose, like more people than you. Like you kind of just, you're one of the bricks. You're just one of the parts of the body. Not even the most important part. It's just a part. And it's maybe in the corner of the bathroom of the temple. You know, like it's not even a nice part. I'm not even on the front door. It's like, I'm just a part of it. And I, don't you hear that? I mean, like, you get to be the people of God. And I go, what's my job? And you're like, you know, corner of the bathroom thing. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I had in mind when I signed up to follow Jesus and be important in the kingdom. It's a humbling thing to be a people. It just, it confronts you. It confronts who you think you are. <laughs> I want to do an office quote right now, but I'm not going to. Um, the people who watch The Office will get it. I don't need to say it. So uh, I think the idea of joining a people requires this thing that, man, ah, oh, it's this idea of being self-forgetful. And I'm really bad at that. Especially, remember being a teenager? Some of you still are teenagers. No offense. When I was a teenager, and it's still very true in my mind now, I could not forget myself in any particular situation. I was consumed and largely still am with what's going on in me right now, all the time. I went to one camp and uh, for like a weekend at Keats and I just hated it because I was, I, 
I don't remember, I was thinking back to this. Like, I don't think about it very often. I didn't enjoy the experience. And uh, I'm like 11 and just only thinking about myself and just feeling crushed by the immensity of all the people around me. And they didn't like me. I knew it. I was new. And I just like the second Saturday, like this next day, I just like cried at my table. And my counselor had to come and just like ask me what's going on. I couldn't even answer him. I'm just like, I'm consumed with myself. Now I'm 11, so give me a break. But still, there's this idea of like, but being self-forgetful. You walk into a place and you go, I wonder what's, I wonder how I could help. (laughs) It's a lot to put on an 11 year old. I get that. But if I went into that boat being like, who else is lonely? Who else is, did you, there's seven other, I don't know. It's a different way of walking into a moment. And we have that opportunity here in the people of God, but I just, I don't know if we take it up. I don't know if we take it as much as we should. So it's humbling to join a people. The other thing that it is, is it's chiseling. I don't know if that's a verb, but you get chiseled. And uh, the idea of becoming a dead stone into a living stone any idea what kind of has to happen in between those two things? It's like tick, 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 tick. <laughs> It's a lot of that. And it's just like, I want to be a living stone. I want to be, have a purpose. I don't want to lie in a field. You're like, great. Here's a hammer and a chisel, and this is going to be a thing for you. It's just what happens when you join a people. It requires a lot of cutting away. Oh, the other thing, so much forgiveness of others, like two ways. You, get, you have to be forgiven a ton. People have to forgive you a ton. And you start to learn, like, what is this place about? And like, ah, I was proud about that thing. That thing wasn't making any sense. Um, I thought I was really great at that. And it's like, turned out that was actually really unhelpful for everybody. And it kind of got like, tick, tick, tick. And then I had to require, somebody had to forgive me. Oh, I hate that. But also it's like the best thing that's ever happened to me. What is going on? And we start to get chiseled. So, let's land this plane. Okay. This idea of mistrust. Here's where I think that's a lime green pen. If you are building your own kingdom, if you're building your own, this place is useless. Like, it it won't help you. It, maybe for a bit, you know? You make some friends and stuff. But in terms of its ultimate purpose about building the kingdom of heaven, you know, eternally, where you get taken from being alone and set in a purposeful, eternal thing, that's what's going on. And it will confront your kingdom soon. This place... <laughs> will confront your kingdom soonish. Uh, I hope we're kind about it. We need to do everything in love. If we're not doing it in love, we're just bashing people over their head with the truth as if the truth is anything but love. But like, we're correct. So what? Like, you have to say the truth in love. And the kingdom of love that you're not in charge of is coming. And it's advancing. And the, king, and the gates of hell won't prevail against the dotted purple line. I'm advancing the dotted purple line. 
I can't do that without all of these people because I need them to humble me and chisel me so I don't wind up a dead stone in a field. Super essential. But if you're, mis- if you're mistrust, this place is just aggravating because they keep making you think about other people and then making it sound good. And now it's, they talk about repentance all the time. And I've done that seven times, but it's not working for me to build my own thing. And that's not what it's designed for. And so we just get frustrated. And I have friends. Oh my goodness, guys. I have, I have friends that are my age, I sound old, that just didn't want to do this. They didn't want to build the kingdom. And they don't like the church anymore and then blame the church for it with very valid critiques, by the way. Everybody's critique of the church is super valid because we're really bad, because we're all really sinful and we have to work it out, which is why it takes a ton of forgiveness. And God's powerful enough to use all the evil in our hearts to chisel us into his image like he's that good, but you can get tired of it and your pride can get in the way. So what do we do? What are we actually trusting in? Uh, what we have to do, and this is what we, I'm drawing a diagram, we drew up a camp, but I'm, these are googly eyes, and we're looking that way. And we're looking at, we're looking at what Jesus did. We're looking at the cornerstone. We're looking behind us, going, what did he do, and what was he like? We don't do this on our own. We don't just try hard and squint and like, uh, we model ourselves after Jesus. And, you know, this line for us actually gets inverted out from exile back as we look at at what the model is, at who the chief cornerstone is. And it brings us back here all the time. So why do we get to do this? What did Jesus do? Like, what did he do? How is he worthy of being what does Jesus's life have to do with me being part of a church and advancing his kingdom? Okay. Humility, Isaiah 53, put that one up there. This is talking about Jesus. Isaiah 53. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he has poured out his life unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sin of of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We get offended by being numbered amongst a bunch of bricks and being humbled by that, and it hurts our pride. We get offended by that. Jesus was numbered among transgressors. He was numbered among the sinners. He died a sinner's death. He's getting counted as one of us. He's getting counted so humbled. He's on a cross next to two thieves who actually deserve it, and he's getting counted among the transgressors so that we can be counted amongst his children. He wants to count, and he's going, I want to count you as my children. I want to count you as chiseled bricks that fit perfectly into my family, that build me a house to dwell in for eternity, and we can be together forever. And God humbled himself so deeply. And so we look behind us and we go, wow, you numbered yourself amongst sinners. Surely I can number myself amongst the children of God. Surely. And we let the amazingness of that wash over us. What about chiseled? More Isaiah 53, five. But he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought our peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Pierced, crushed. That's what makes him the chief cornerstone. Think he got there by accident? You want to talk about somebody who was chiseled into the cornerstone? So, we, have a model, we model ourselves after his pattern and we're chiseled in the living stones as well. And we offer ourselves as sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So as we trust him and follow him, God knits us into his temple. And as we offer our bodies as living spiritual sacrifices, we're both drawn into the body of Christ and we advance his kingdom in this beautiful way. I kind of said it this way, what, what keeps us together is what advances the kingdom. As we look back, as we model our lives after Jesus, we end up advancing the kingdom and we're stitched into this body. And it's this beautiful thing where we get to belong in it and we get to be significant. We talked about this from the very beginning is we want to be eternally secure and God goes, great, I'm going to set you in a family. And I want to be significant. Great, this building never will crumble or fail eternal security and eternal significance. So, question. Will you trust Jesus as the cornerstone and model your life after his? That's the question we're all presented with. And I get why you wouldn't. The path that he took, remember the path that we drew, truth, repentance, and faith? If you've taken established that course, this is all God we talk about, truth, repentance, and faith. And you go, no, I don't want that. When I'm confronted with the truth, I go, no, I'm not going to repent. I loved your story, James. It was just like repentance is good news now when you catch a glimpse of who Jesus is and how worthy he is of being followed. So I have a preaching coach these days in my master's degree, and he gave me a piece of feedback. He's like, you don't give applications very often. I told him why I don't. It's like, yeah, I get that. But you should try to give an application every now and again. <laughs> and so I have one today. I think you should join a church with your whole heart. That's what I think you should do. I think it's absolutely essential. You can't do this on your own. You just can't. And like give to it, serve in it, lay your life down for it, know everybody, be self-forgetful, be counted among his children, and watch. Watch your heart be refined and discipled and chiseled and it'll grow and it'll bear fruit and you'll have impact in people's lives and you're part of a story that's unstoppable, by the way. It is worthwhile. It is worthwhile. And it'll cost you everything that's going to die anyway. It'll cost you your whole kingdom that's got an expiry date on it anyways. And so why I love the church is because it's not stopping. And I'm joining that story. And I say, well, humble me then. Well, chisel me then. And our pride subsides. And God rushes into that moment. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up. You guys can get plugged in. And uh, I'd just like to pray for us because uh, this is like not, <laughs> this is like the most countercultural, like Jesus is countercultural for one. And then a Jesus that actually asks something of you <laughs> is even more so. And so uh, I just wanted to say, if anything is going on in your heart that's like, whoa, that's a lot, um, work it out with him. Like work it out with Christ. You can look around at our church or whatever church you go to or any church and look around and go, I don't know if this is good. They're going to pull it off and we won't, but he will. And so you work it out with him and you go, 
what are you doing in my life that would allow this to work? It's the only thing holding this whole thing together. And so if it's a struggle for you to join, to be part of the people, if you don't want to be humbled and you don't want to be chiseled by other people, have a conversation with Jesus about that and go, who are you making me, who are you make, who are you making me into and what have you called me to? And he's going to use other people because it turns out healthy relationships are really great and he uses them for his glory. Um, for those that were at camp, I just wanted to say thanks for like listening to me for longer than you probably had to or wanted to. And uh, I am humbled and chiseled as we figure out how to serve Jesus together and as we figure out how to see his kingdom come and we've got these little things like church and we've got these little things like anvil and sometimes they don't look like enough and I have to go, no, Jesus, you're doing a thing. And if I'm part of the beginning of a story, sign me up. If I'm part of the beginning of a story, sign me up. And the fact is, is I'm not. I am joining a very ancient story that you have proved yourself faithful in time and time again. And so, Lord, we choose tonight to sign up for your vision and your mission and your kingdom. We choose to lay down the ones that we're building and join the one that you're building. Yes, because it's better, but also because it's lasting. Father, I pray for just like a spirit of wisdom in this place. Father, it's wise to join you. It's wise to build our life modeled after the chief cornerstone that the God of heaven and earth has put in place as the one who's in charge. And so, Father, I just come against any sort of gray in this space and go, no, there's two. There's yours and there's ours, and we choose yours tonight. Father, would a spirit of, of peace and, and kind repentance just fall in this room and be like, Lord, what would you have of me? What would you have of me? How do I join? Father, I'm so sorry for the way that I and the church have so fallen short time and time again of properly displaying all of who you are. And I ask again for your grace and your mercy on us as we try to serve you and have you be the bedrock and have your love be the purpose of all that we do. We fall so short, but God, would you use our brokenness as you use the brokenness of so many people throughout all of history to still reveal your goodness, to still reveal your greatness as we choose to humble you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Tara will probably lead us in this later, but uh, we're gonna have people available to pray for you tonight. And uh, great way to humble yourself is to go, hey, look, like I got a thing and I'm just not gonna be on my own in it. Wow, what a step of faith. Don't be on your own in a thing. Because <laughs> someone might say, hey, what have you, have you talked to Jesus about that? And you go, I don't wanna talk to him about that. And we start to chisel and refine and be humble and it's so good. Church is so good. Let's worship.